Today I want to share with you some thoughts from the book of Luke, and uh, it's primarily going to be from the 12th chapter, uh, verses 13 to 33, and um, I do have the New International Version, but I think of today I've brought along the New Living Translation because it sometimes has some different work, and I'm just kind of share with that. I'm going to begin at verse 13. <clears throat> Someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, Friend, who made a judge over you, over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. He said, I know, I'll tear them down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you've got enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Then turning to his disciples, he said, This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food, and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them, and you're far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, and yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the persons of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasures will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. About two weeks ago, I saw something just in the news I was reading. And immediately started thinking back to an event 105 years ago. On April the 10th, 1912, the Titanic set sail from Southampton, England. And as all remember the story, it was declared to be unsinkable. It was constructed of a new technology. 
And people who went aboard were marveling not only at the new technology, but also the wealth and the opulence that was on board. The ship's hull was divided into 16 watertight compartments. The designers boasted that up to four of those compartments could be ruptured or even flooded, and the ship would still stay afloat. Tragically, they were mistaken. Five days later, on April the 15th, 1912, 1,513 people lost their lives. At the time, it was thought that five of those watertight compartments must have been damaged or ruptured in collision with the iceberg. A number of years later, when they went down to the ocean bottom in 1985, and they explored the wreck, and they found it upright on the floor, and there was no sign of a long gash that was previously thought to have destroyed the side of the boat. In fact, what they found is that the damage was primarily to one compartment, and that had affected the rest of the boat. James Cameron, who produced the movie Titanic, said that the Titanic is a metaphor of life. And many of us make the same mistake, in a sense, because we think that we can divide our lives into different compartments, and that what happens in one thing will not destroy or sink the rest of our lives. David prayed for an undivided heart, and he led people with, with an integrity of heart. Jesus was described as being a man of integrity, a person after the heart of God. And the Apostle Paul says that we are to set our minds on what is above, not on the sinful nature, because the mind that is governed by the Spirit is life and peace. <laughs> In this parable, it's kind of interesting the way it starts out, you know, that this young fellow seems to ask Jesus to settle some sort of family dispute. I wonder how many families disputes are over money. And Jesus says, don't miss the point. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus was saying that we need to focus not on possessions. Because when we do that, we miss the whole point of life. Life is not defined by what you have. Even if you have a whole lot. Right now, we see people around that say, you know, it's, it's how much you gather. It's a matter of being great. It's a matter of accumulating all kinds of wealth and showing your opulence. Jesus says there's failure in that kind of false thinking. When people think that they're a self-made success, that they accumulate everything around, and they have a showiness of everything around them, that doesn't make success. Jesus goes on and tells a story, and I'm sure that we probably could even relate that with the way that the attitudes of today. A highly successful businessman, this person who operated a farm enterprise, built it up, made a considerable amount of money, and probably everyone around him were admiring him for his skills and his techniques and his savvy and everything else. And yet Jesus describes him as a fool and as a failure. He had made a false assumption that all of his years of work and everything else and his years 
or to point that he was at the pinnacle of success. As people could say, he had his retirement plans in place, and he had his Freedom 55, and they could sit back and just take life easy. Jesus said he made a false assumption that he didn't have many years to live after all. No worries, he thought. His life was focused on himself. And when you start looking at that passage, you see how much focused on himself he said. The words I or my appear 11 times. His thought was all about himself and his possessions. And he failed to understand the way to be truly rich, that he was not rich towards God. You know, the other side of this passage after this, then Jesus says that, you know, we can, we can think that we got it all made, and on the other side of it, sometimes when we don't have it made, and we're scrounging after gated lives, and we become all tied up and fussing over the things that are futile. And he says, look beyond material things, look beyond the food, look beyond the clothing, look beyond the things that we accumulate. Don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes when somebody comes. Don't fuss about the clothes in your closet if they're in fashion or not. Probably some of those words he might have spoken to the rich young ruler. Some of those words he probably spoke to Martha when she was fussing about the food when Jesus and his, and his followers came at the meal and at their home. How much do we as a world focus upon the outward appearance on our body and also what we put in our body? A lot too, often too much we put in our body. And he said, life is more than food, and it's more than what we put on this body. Then he says, trust God's care and provision. When we don't, worry is the opposite of faith. If you trust you will not worry. And he points to the fact that you know, God has the ability to make things that are beautiful and care for the things of the field and care for the birds of the air. And he cares for us as well. Faith involves trust in God's care and providence. Then he says, seek God's kingdom. Trust and obedience go hand in hand. <clears throat> Rather than storing up things for yourself, be rich towards God. Rather than worrying about material things, seek His kingdom, which God and His pleasure gives to us. That needs to be the focus of our life, not the matter of accumulation of things that will soon disappear. You know, Jesus spoke about money more than anything else, almost. In including prayer and heaven. Out of his 38 parables, 12 of those parables deal with money and possessions. As Billy Graham put it, a person gets their attitude towards money straight, it helps straighten out almost every other area of their life. Jesus teaches us how to get a right view of money. And he starts with the rather strange thoughts and sometimes. And flip over with me to the 16th chapter of Luke. 
And here you find a very strange example that he gives. It's called the parable of the shrewd manager. We call him the crooked manager in some ways. Where he tells about a rich man who had hired somebody to look after his affairs. Maybe you call him the general manager of a place. And he starts going through his books and he finds out this, this guy had been cooking the books. And he says, I am going to take care of you. Uh, I want you to get an account of your management because you can't manage any longer. In other words, I'm going to get ready to fire you. And this guy says, well, look, you know, I, I'm just not able to take and go out and do manual labor. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to work and beg. So I'll do something. And he tells the story of this shrewd manager who takes and calls in the people with the different amounts of the owed to the, to the owner. And he says, how much do you owe? He says, well, I, I owe, um, he says, I owe 800 gallons of olive oil. He says, okay, cut that down. Make it 400. The next guy calls in and he says, how much do you owe? And he says, well, I owe a, a thousand bushels of wheat. Jeff would probably, and Robert would probably be able to know what that's worth. And he says, okay, take your bill. Take 25% off that, make it 800. And he did that with others as well. And, and when all this afterwards, the master strangely commends the, the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. And we kind of scratch our heads and we say, why in the world is Jesus giving this kind of a parable about somebody acting crookedly and then being commended for it? And he goes on and he says in verse nine, uh, 8 and 9, he says, The people of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. And he says, this is the point of the parable. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This man was intending to use his wealth to try and curry favor with those around him. But Jesus says that the reality is that we need to look at money as a tool to be used in a good way, not just the way that the shrewd manager used. We are to take and to use the things that God has given to us with wisdom, with prudence, and understanding that money is a tool, and it's really intended to help people around, and not simply for our own benefit. Jesus primary concern was to see the kingdom of God being preached. And one of the things he, that he said, even in a sense, is that the, what we have, our resources, are to be used for the sake of the kingdom. Just like in Neil's prayer this morning. To use the gifts that we've given for the advancement of the kingdom. And we're reminded that the use of our money on earth has eternal consequences. And in a couple of other parables, like the matter of the parable of the Greek banquet and in the 14th chapter of Luke, and in the prodigal son in the 15th, we find, again, the, the fact that the way we handle money and our resources has an impact upon our lives and those around us. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, he said, Teach those who are rich in the world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust needs to be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future that they may experience through life. The other thing of this thing is that money is a test. When you've got money, it is a test how we use it. And Jesus doesn't commend the dishonest manager for his unscrupulous behavior. In fact, it's the opposite. And in other places we find, <clears throat> such as the, 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 the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 15, you know, that he talks about the matter that we are given trust. And the things that we have around us really don't belong to us. They really belong to God. And he trusts us to use these things. And when we use them properly, then he increases our responsibility and our blessing. Be an honest and trustworthy servant of everything that God has given you, including your money. And the more trustworthy you are with what really belongs to God, the more he will give you his blessings. And I'm not talking a matter of gospel of, of prosperity. God never promises that, but he promises to us to take care of our needs and to understand the blessings of being able to share with those who need. The last thing I, out of this parable is that there is also money is a threat. And then certainly that rich man who gave, put all that stuff together and built his big mansions and everything else, found that it was a threat to his existence. It is a threat in our relationship with people. Money is to be used, not loved. Don't love money and use people. Love people and use money. And yet, so often we find people that are bragging about the matter of of taking advantage, of getting ahead, you know, and, and maybe the art of the deal or whatever else, you know. It is not that way in God's mind. The threat is that the love of money leads often to a, a division between us and others around us. It leads to a hatred of God. In the passage that we had there from Luke chapter 16, in down in verse 14, it said, The Pharisees who loved money heard all of the things that Jesus were tell, was telling them, and they just were sneering at Jesus. It says in the message that they were money-obsessed. No anybody like that. They sneered at Jesus because they thought, Oh, this poor, stupid, impoverished teacher. He has nothing. And he's trying to tell us, and we've got all this wealth, and we get everything around us. He knows nothing. The Apostle Paul warns people with that attitude. He says, in 1 Timothy 6, 5, he says that people with that attitude, their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their back on the truth. And to them, 
A show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the truth and pierced themselves with many sorrows. When we have the opposite attitude, when we see money as more important than people, that separates us from people, that separates us from God, in many ways destroys our humanity. We need to despise money, to treat it with contempt by giving it generously, in a sense is what it's to say. What is highly valued by men is detestable in God's sight. Focus your love not on money, but on God who knows your hearts. Remember the thing that Jesus said in Matthew, and it's also here in verse 13 of, of Luke 16. It says, no one can be a slave to masters. You will either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. When the Titanic sat that, sank that day in April of 1912, some of the most powerful and wealthiest people in the world were aboard. And that's one of the reasons that it is remembered to this day, because of the, of the impact that it had on the world. And I'm sure there were some who were desperately doing everything possible to get into the few lifeboats that were launched. They were bartering, bribing, begging, crying, pleading, threatening, everything else possible, but in the end it didn't matter. When it came down to it, they lost their most valuable possession of all their lives. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 1 Timothy 6, 6, yet true godliness with contentment in itself is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. An old Spanish proverb is that there are no pockets in a shroud. You don't see too many armored cars following behind a hearse to a cemetery. In the earlier story, the story of the prodigal son, Jesus pointed out that when we become focused on money, it can cause us to destroy our family life, it can destroy our humility, it can destroy our sense of self-respect, and it cut ourselves off from everything. And it's only when we have nothing left, when there are no support structures and everything is gone, that we are often forced to our senses and to realize we need to turn around and come home. That's the way it is in relationships with our Heavenly Father as well. When we're brought low, when we're brought to our senses, God is patiently waiting to welcome us 
to restore our relationship with him, to supply us with more than we need or desire, and give us hope. Let each one of us ask the Lord to help us to be good stewards of everything entrusted to us, to be honest, to be trustworthy, to ask his help to break the hold of money in life, by being generous in our giving and focusing our thoughts not on money but on God, the giver of all things, especially of the greatest gift of all, salvation in His Son, Jesus' name. Father God, we ask that as we prepare to leave this place, we might be reminded of the fact that life here in this world is, is temporary. And also be reminded that you care for your creation. You care for us as much as you care for for flowers and birds and everything else even more. And when we trust in you, when we put your will first in our, our lives, and when we trust in you with wisdom to act accordingly as good stewards of the things you have given to us, help us, Father, to use all the things around us to the blessing and benefit of the people and for the kingdom. And Father, may you be glorified in our generosity and our recognition that you is the great giver of all things. Intend first and foremost that we realize that this life is, is temporary and it is in preparation for us for the day when we welcome home. Father, may we hear you say, well done, good and faithful servants. In Jesus' name. Thank you.